Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Well, good morning, Soul City Church. How are we doing this morning? Good to see you. Good to be with you. Uh, lots of hot takes there in that video. Uh, it is so good to see you. Uh, my name is Jarrett, and I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City. And it is so good when we gather together like this in person. This really is important, and it's meaningful, and it's special. And so it's so good to see all of you here. And I want to welcome those of you who are online, those of you who are joining us uh, from literally across the country and all over the world. I know my mom in California right now is watching. Hi, mom. I love you. Thanks for telling all your friends about our church. Uh, I am just so honored that we get to gather like this. And we're in the middle of a teaching series called The Gospel According to Me, where we're basically looking at off-brand gospels. We're looking at things that sound like, okay, maybe that's of God, but, and we believed it and we kind of gave our life to it, but it's not really rooted in the the liberating, life-giving gospel of Jesus, the freedom-bringing gospel of Jesus. And this week, we're going to be looking at our idea of good and, and bad and how for every single one of us, our understanding of good and bad totally affects our view of God. It affects our view of ourselves. It affects our view of others. And it, it affects how we think God thinks of us. And so to help you kind of get in that framework of understanding what it is that you think is good and what it is that you think is bad, I thought we could take a little quiz today. And I know that school has just started or is just about to start. And the last thing you want to do is take a quiz on day one. But this is going to be a super easy, really fun quiz. You can't, it's basically your opinion quiz. So you cannot fail at this quiz. I'm going to put an image up on the screen. And all you have to do is give me a thumbs up and yell good if you think it's good. Or a thumbs down and yell bad if you think it's bad. All right? Does that make sense? So let's practice good. Everyone say good. good. And bad. 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 And for those of you online, you can find your emojis now. And you can put them in the comment section. Or just type all caps good, all types bad. We'll make sure to record your vote. Okay, good and bad. First thing, this is like right over the plate. Super easy. Summertime shy. Anyone? Summertime shy. Good or bad? Good. good. That was pathetic. And you don't deserve Chicago for that response. <laughs> You don't deserve these three weeks. All right, summertime shy, good or bad? All right, now let's go to the next one. Wintertime shy, good or bad? Bad, good, bad. Okay, see, now we're gonna start to split. Now you're gonna start to see there's gonna be some real division. This may be the beginning and the end of our church. It's gonna happen. You'll trace it back to this moment right here, right now. And you know, in Chicago, we love our, we love our city. We love talking about our city. We've got a lot of opinions about our city and we have some of the best restaurants in the world. And we have some of the best restaurants in the world, in this neighborhood, right here in the West Loop. And so I'm going to put up what I think is one of the best restaurants in the world. And you tell me if it's good or bad. Chili's, good or bad? No, it's so good. It's so good. You are wrong. You don't know. Two words, queso. Come on, you know this. It's the only reason you go. You eat all the other stuff just to have that. All right, next one. Ooh, this is going to be a real, this is, this is going to show, oof, it's going to reveal a lot. I'm not going to weigh in on this one. Popular TV show, The Bachelor, good or bad? Okay, those of you who are good, I saw you change your vote real quick. Way to read the room. Good, good. All right. Uh, okay, here's one in our day and age right now. Leaving a voicemail, good or bad? Good. Oh no, do not leave me a voicemail. I do not want to hear you. Text me, text me. That's the best way to get me. All right. Now 
Again, I cannot weigh in on this one because I've said things about this next one before and I've gotten so many angry emails afterwards. So I'm just going to let it lie. I'm going to put an image up on the screen. You tell me, cats, good or bad? Again, I'm not voting, but I think we know how God would vote on this one. I'm just saying, I'm not. I'm just, that's God. Okay, so we're mixed on cats as a species, whether they're good or bad, but let's just agree on this one. Cats the movie, good or bad? Bad. You you don't even have to see it. Just look at that image. Now you will have nightmares and you will never forget that image in your mind. Now you may be wondering, what does any of this have to do with God? Why, Why is it that we can so easily vote good or bad and have completely different opinions than the person sitting next to us? And what in the world does that have to do with what we're going to be talking about today? Well, I want you to imagine if God were playing along on this quiz with us. I already told you how we'd vote on the cats one. But I want you to imagine if God were playing along on this simple little quiz with us and we put a picture of you up on the screen. What do you think he'd say? How do you think he'd vote? Okay, you say you, say you think good. I appreciate you giving me that vote. Some of you even gave a thumbs up. Okay. But is that really what you actually believe? Would you believe God said, yes, good or bad? What do you think God would say? Or maybe let's ask it, let's ask it another way. The way I like to frame it is this. What do you think God thinks of when God thinks of you? What is it that you really think God thinks of when God thinks of you? Good? Bad? Something in the middle kind of depends on the day, the season? Broken? Beautiful? Is God proud of you? Is God disappointed with you? Is God indifferent about you? See, this is really important stuff because what you think about God directly affects what you think God thinks about you. And what you think God thinks about you directly affects what you think about God. Think about it. It's true. How you answer that question has huge implications and is a major revealer of what gospel you really believe. So what do you think God thinks of when God thinks of you? Now, for many of us, especially those of us who grew up going to church, we have all kinds of mixed messages around this. And I know in our church, there's lots of people who didn't grow up going to church. In fact, this may be the first church you've ever gone to, but some of us grew up around church. And for those of us who grew up around church, there is an image of God or a thought that we have about God that God is actually somehow mad at us or disappointed with us or kind of like put off or annoyed by us. And if you've ever felt that way about God, like God's just kind of disappointed in you, or you're just not doing enough, you're not good enough for God, you are not alone and you should not be surprised because much of what our modern Western theology is actually rooted in is a God, an idea that God is actually mad at you. It's crazy if you actually peel it all back at kind of the heart of a lot of it, certainly not all of it, is that God is mad at you. And if it weren't for Jesus, God would have nothing to do with you. It's not just that God is good and you're bad. It's that God is mad at you. And that gospel can largely be traced back to one sermon, one sermon, a message given at a little church in Boston in 1741 by a pastor named Jonathan Edwards. I'm going to put his picture up. You can just tell by this selfie 
super chill dude. Just a real easy hang, Jonathan Edwards, all right? So this one sermon that he gave kicked off what is now known as the Great Awakening here in America and around the world. It was a time of massive growth for the Western church. And much of that movement was based on a gospel that Edwards and others like him preached. And the name of that one message that he gave is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I'm sorry, let me say that again. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Is that a little bit better? Okay, that's a little bit better. Sinners, in fact, I had to study this sermon in school. I had to read through this in school. This was like required reading, this one sermon. In fact, it's so good, I thought I could just read a little bit to you today. (laughs) Oh boy, (laughs) you're gonna love this. This is just one little part towards the beginning. He says, the God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast in the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times so abominable in his eyes as the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. Again, super chill dude. <laughs> Just really, someone's going to take that clip and post it on social and that will be it. I'll be canceled for that. That was at the heart. That was towards the beginning of this. Do you think he did a thumbs up, thumbs down quiz at the start of that message? No, probably not. I think he just went straight in. Now, as intense as that may seem some 300 years later, this this gospel, this this view of God as, as sort of mad or angry or disappointed at his creation has become a huge part of the modern Western church. Because according to this idea, apparently fear and shame are far greater motivators than love and acceptance. That's kind of the the belief at the heart of it. And here's the fun, here's the fun little bonus for you. When your God is fundamentally furious at all humanity, it gives you an excuse to judge and shame and hate others as well. And you get to do it all in God's name. Have you experienced any of that? Have you seen any of that? See, this, this, this whole gospel is actually, is rooted in an idea that actually goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. In fact, well, okay, almost all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. And I want you to, to see where this idea came from, because it came from a place in the Bible. But we're going to unpack that for just the next couple of minutes. So here's what I want you to do. Grab a Bible. And I want you to open to Genesis chapter three. If you have a Soul City Bible with you, there should be one right under your seat if you're in this room. You can turn to page two. That's how close we're going back to the beginning. Page two in the Soul City Bible, if you want to do it on your phone or you have a separate tab online, you can open Genesis chapter three. That is where we're going to unpack this first little part of this gospel. All right, so this is in Genesis three, where we're at is the, the story of how sin entered into our world and our lives. It, it comes right after the creation account. Adam and Eve had all that they needed. All of it was provided to them by the hands of a loving God. It was truly, truly paradise. And all God asked of them was that they not eat of the fruit of a certain tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, because up to this point, everything, all that they knew was good. All that they knew was good. And while evil existed, God's heart was to 
spare them from that evil. But as you well know, if you're familiar with the story, they were tempted by Satan. And instead of saying, not today, Satan, they said, yeah, today works. Today's pretty good, Satan. And so they pretty much gave in. And this is what we see in Genesis 3. Let's start in verse 6. It says this, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized, and this is amazing, they realized then after all that time, then that they were naked. The implication here is that's where shame entered into our story. They realized that there was naked and there was something wrong with that. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The text goes on to tell us, that they tried to hide from God, they lied to God, they did everything they could do to not have to take responsibility for the choice that they made. And see that right there in Genesis 3, what we see is it's all right there. All was good and now there was bad. And that sin brought with it a real separation from God and, 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 and as we'll see real quick in that story, from each other. It brought shame, it brought hatred, deception, even death. And thousands of years later, not long actually after the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, summing up this whole idea of what happened, the significant moment in the story of God that happened in Genesis 3, the apostle Paul writes in Romans 5.12, he actually sums it all up and says this. He says, therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man or one man and woman, Adam and Eve, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all Sin. Now just sit with that for a second. What Paul is saying is here, when that happened to that one person, when that was brought in, it affected all of us. Or some people would even say that that sin not only affected, but infected all of us. In other words, their sin became our sin, became my sin. This is what theologians refer to as, maybe you've heard this term, original sin. You ever heard that phrase before? This is where that comes from, the idea of original sin. Sin. The idea here is that because of what happened in Genesis 3, you are born bad. And there's nothing you can do about it. And God's not good with how bad you are. And so you can see, it makes sense, doesn't it? How Jonathan Edwards and so many others got to that point where he wrote those words, sinners in the hands of an angry God. You can see how they got there. It makes sense. And let me be really, 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 really clear. It's not all wrong. It is true that there is sin. Sin did enter into our story in Genesis 3. It is true that sin does hurt us and hurts the heart of God. It is true that sin does separate us from God, from each other, and from our true selves. It is true that Jesus actually came to make a way for us to be forgiven, to be free, to be fully alive. That's all actually true. But is it true that God is mad at you? Is that true? That God is mad at you? That God is disappointed with you? Is it true that that you are 10,000 times more abominable to God than the most hateful venomous snake, to quote a certain somebody? Is that true? That you are fundamentally bad? See, what folks who who tend to hold on to to this gospel, the gospel of original sin, often overlook is what actually comes before original sin, what actually comes before Genesis 3, and that is 
Genesis 1. So let's actually turn to Genesis 1 right now. You just literally flip the page. It's right there. And in Genesis 1, what we see is that in the midst of God making all manner of things, God deemed and declared all of it as, anyone want to take a guess? Good. In fact, God does this over and over and over and over again. It starts in Genesis 1.10. God saw actually the light and it was good. Verse 12, God saw that it was good. Verse 18, God saw that it was good. Verse 22, God saw that it was good. Verse 25, God saw that it was good. Over and over and over again, you can imagine God in heaven giving chef's kisses to everything that he makes. It's good. That's good. You can just see him doing that. And of course it's good because God made it. Of course it's good. Everything God God makes is good. That's because God can only make good things and only God can make bad things good. True? So of course it's good. Of course it's good. But, 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 but. That's not the whole story. Because in the, in, in the midst of God making all of these good things, in the midst of making everything and saying and declaring, it's good, it's good, it's good. God sets out to make us. Humanity, people. And this is what we see in Genesis 1.27. Jump down to Genesis 1.27. It says this, God created mankind, that's us, in his own image. In the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, rule over. You see where, where it all kind of begins here. After all the good things, after all the good things that God had made, he looked at us, men and women, his sons and daughters made in his image. And he said in Genesis 1 31, this is very good. This is very good. Everything else, good, good, good. He looked at us, his most precious and prized creation, and said, no, this is very, very good. The ones whom God actually loves, this is very good. Whatever it is that's better than God's best, that's us. That's how God sees it. See, with those who hold so hard onto the the gospel of original sin tend to miss is that our story actually begins in Genesis 1 with original blessing. There's an original blessing. God blessed humanity. God loves humanity. We are, according to God, very good in his eyes. We are, you are blessed from the beginning. And while sin definitely impacted that blessing, it did not overpower that blessing. It did not lessen God's love for you. Now again, that doesn't mean that I don't sin. Far from it. God's very good creations make very bad decisions all the time. It doesn't mean that sin doesn't have consequences in my life. Far from it. I can look back on, you can look back on some of our greatest regrets and my hunches, you'll be able to trace it back to some sin somewhere in your story. It doesn't mean that I don't need Jesus Far from it. You and I actually need Jesus far more than we even know. But it's for more than just trying to make a mad God cool down and feel a little bit better about you. What this all means is that God starts and ends with you with love. Period. 
That's the whole point of why God actually came to us in the person and the power and the presence of Jesus was to be with us, to remind us, to show us just how much God loves us. See, here's the thing. I don't want you to get this mixed up. Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about you. He came to change your mind about God. He didn't come to change God's mind. Like, no, 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 they're all right. Let me show you. I'll do some stuff that'll make you okay. God, just give me a chance. Give him a chance. No, 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 no. He came to change your mind about God to say he is far more loving. He is far more caring. He is far more compassionate. He is far more forgiving than any other gospel you might've believed that you can actually see and know and experience and share this life-changing love of God to start from a place of being loved by God, to choose that over fear, to choose relationship with God over religion about God, to choose intimacy with him over intimidation about him. Oh, I wish I would have heard that gospel when I was younger. Oh, I wish I would have heard that. I wish I would have heard the gospel like that when I was younger. The gospel that says so clearly that Jesus modeled so directly that God loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And the only thing to do in light of that love is to respond to it. How do you respond to a God who loves you, who loves you, who loves you? I want you to have life, real life, life to the fullest in and with him. Because God doesn't love you because he has to, like theologically has to. God loves you because he just categorically loves you. That's it. That God already says yes to you and invites you to say yes to him. I I wish I would have heard that gospel sooner in my life. Because I spent a lot of years under another gospel. I grew up, and I, this is my story. I don't know if you can relate or not. I grew up believing, I, like I knew that God loved me. I, I just wasn't sure if God liked me. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like I knew like he was like bound to love me. But I wasn't convinced that he even liked me. It was like I was always just a little bit of a, a disappointment to God. Did you ever hear that from your parents that they're disappointed in you? That, that wasn't that the worst it's not that, you know, did you ever have your parents or caregivers say to you, it's not that we're mad at you, it's just that we're disappointed. That's so much worse. Please be mad. I know what to do with mad. That will cool off. I don't know what to do with disappointment. That's how I felt that God felt towards me, that he was disappointed with me. Maybe you can relate. See, because I believed and I saw a God who, who saw every bad thing I did and, and would hold back his love until I made it up to him until I made it right. It was a, God's who, a God whose love was very conditional and resembled very little of the God that Jesus talks about in the Gospels, the God that Jesus actually invited us into relationship with him. It reminds me of th- th- this view that I held for so many years of God, reminds me of this friend that I actually grew up going to church with. And he had a practice every time he would go out to eat at a restaurant. He would, he would pull out $10 in singles, every time I was with him, he would do this. And he would put those singles right on the side of the table for the server to see. And then all throughout the meal, he would either add to it if the service was good. I'm not kidding. Or take from it <laughs> if it was bad or slow. How messed up is that? This is a guy I grew up going to church with. 
I mean, how many of you have ever been a server before? Right, you know, it's like, man, I'm just here in this Applebee's trying to get by. I don't want to have to deal with some sadistic 20-something who's playing mind games with me over an awesome blossom. I'm not here for that. That was my view of God. Oh, yeah, you did good. Okay, good job. Oh, no, you messed up again. Oh, you messed up again. Oh, you didn't make it up to me in time. Oh, no, no, you don't get my blessing because you're so broken. There's just this constant transactional God. Back and forth, fits and spurts. And maybe that's, maybe that's how it's been for you and for God. Maybe you can relate. You just, like deep down, if you were to be honest, you're never quite sure if you're good enough. Like you just mess up too much. You don't go to church enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You don't pray enough. You don't sign up for stuff around here enough. It's just never enough. And maybe that's just completely affected how you think God thinks of you without you even realizing it. I saw a picture of this not not too long ago. I was talking with a friend of mine from our church who's going through a, a really rough divorce, in the middle of a really rough divorce. And it's kind of been long and it's been drawn out and there's kids involved and it's just, it's a mess. And in the midst of navigating all of the complexities of that, this friend of mine began to experience some health issues that they'd never experienced before. Now, this is a relatively healthy person, but, but they found themselves in the hospital for a couple days, running all sorts of tests and unclear as to how all this was brought upon them. And I just remember them saying to me, from literally from a hospital bed, saying to me, I, I wonder if this is God's way of punishing me for the divorce. I know that divorce is against God's will. And I wonder if I'm going through all of this because of that. Does that sound like the heart of a loving God to you? See, it's not, it's not just that bad things happen to us under this kind of gospel. It's that bad things happen to you because God is mad at you, disappointed with you. And I spent so many years of my life trying to impress, trying to make it up, trying to to tip the scales, all to get God to do what he actually already always did, which is love me. He already loved me. He already loved me. He always loves me. And he already always loves you. This has been the story from the beginning. This is what Jesus came to reveal and to remind us of. That no matter what you think of yourself, no matter what you think God thinks of you, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Before all your striving, before all your stressing, before all your struggling, before all your sinning, before you were anything, you were everything to God. Before you were anything in this world, you were everything to God. And he does not see you as bad. <laughs> he doesn't even see you as good. He sees you as very good. His son, his daughter. And he wants you to live freely and fully from that place of love. To live from and out of that love. That's what he has for you. And out of that love, I get to respond. When I mess up, I confess sin because I love God, not because I'm afraid God will punish me. 
When I have brokenness in relationship, I want to heal it because I love God and I want to experience that connection with others and with God. You see, it's a completely different motivation. And so what I want to do is offer you a little opportunity to to practice just that, to live out of God, to practice it for a week, to live out of God's love and just see what might shift or change in what you think about yourself, what you think about God, what you even think about others. Your homework for this next week is, is well, I, 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 okay, so I'm giving you homework. It's the first week of school and I already gave you a quiz and now I'm giving you homework. But just trust me on this one. Your homework this week is simply that, to live from a place of love. Imagine what it would be like. Just imagine for a second. Just try and imagine for a second what it would be like if you choose to respond to God's love all throughout this week, all throughout your life by living from that place, letting that be the place that you find your identity, you find your purpose, you find your meaning in this world, that you are loved while you're even asleep, that you're loved in the quiet hours of the morning, that you're loved at the stress of work or school, that you're loved as you face difficult decisions, that you're loved as you face temptation, that you're loved in your loneliness, that you are loved in your busyness, that you are loved at your lowest, Do you think that might shift or change what you think about God? Do you think it might shift or change how you go about your day or how you go about your work or your choices, your challenges, your fears, your doubts, your relationships? Do you think that might actually change what you think about God? And maybe, just maybe, that might shift what you think God thinks about you, that before you were anything, you were everything to him, everything. He loves you. That's it. So I want to give you a chance to actually step into, to live into that reality, even if just for a moment, to get a head start on your homework this week, to just respond to the reality of God's love for you. So I want to ask everyone in this room, if you're able to, would you stand, please? And we're just going to pray, simple prayer. For those of you online, if there's any way you can give your full attention, and if you're listening to the pod later, you're with us live, any way you can give God your full heart and your full attention right now, I'd really appreciate that. I think you would too. And all I'm going to do is just pray. This is like a, a gospel prayer. And for some of us, you know, it, it's that we need to say yes to God, maybe for the very first time in our lives. But for some of us, it's that we need to say yes to the God who maybe we've missed our whole life. We've been under some other gospel. And he's inviting you back into love, to love, to love. And so I'd love to give you an opportunity to just say yes to that love. So again, we take this posture of prayer with our hands open. If you'd be willing to do that, I'd love to pray for you right now. And maybe you can just pray along in your own words. Say it as, as you want. You can just simply say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for making a way for me. Thank you, God, for seeing me as I truly am. Help me to say yes to your love today. To no longer say yes to the stories of shame, rejection, or striving, disbelief, but to say yes to you today, to your love. And God, we thank you for your faithfulness. You've never not loved us. 
I just wonder what might shift or change if we really actually got that and lived out of that in our everyday lives. God, thank you for every promise. Thank you for every time you've made a way. Thank you for all the things that we cannot see all throughout our story and well beyond. You are a faithful promise-keeping God and you keep your promise to us that you love us and you will never leave us. And so it's in your name that we pray and sing. Amen.